Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. That put them in a place where they died due to thermal regulation problems. Welcome to another episode of Nature Reliance Media. Be sure and check us out at naturereliance.org. There you can get a list of our upcoming courses, blogs, gear, and other podcasts. Again, naturereliance.org. We have some affiliation agreements with great companies, so why not buy quality gear with a discount? Discounts such as 20% off Gaia GPS and Exotac. You can get 10% off Garage Fit and Tough Possum gear. Or check this one out. Are you looking for a quality light? I have been carrying PowerTac lights for years. You can get 30% off your purchase by using our code. Check the link in the show notes for all these and more. Over the years of teaching and attending other schools, Craig has identified what he believes to be areas that are overlooked in survival and outdoor activities. As always, he lays the podcast out based on the foundation of mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. Craig starts us out in mindset and describes how our brains function in survival situations. Craig then IDs two essential skills that are often lacking. He moves on to communications and tactics and closes with how to organize and develop your gear. Thanks for joining us and on to the podcast. Hey, everybody. It's good to be with you. This is Craig Cottle, the director of Nature Reliance School. Man, I have been digging the topics we've been covering in the podcast. Looking forward to doing more. Tracy and I have been working out kinks here and there for several months now, and I really feel like we're on a roll. So it's good to be with you again. Hey, a lot of stuff going on at the Nature Reliance School. It's been the most busiest. It has been the busiest fall we've ever had. I started with classes about two and a half months ago, have had a class every weekend except one since that time. And I have a class every weekend except two more until the second week of December. So yeah, we've taught dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And we're very thankful for it. This coming weekend, as I record this podcast, we're doing a private survival class. We've done usually one of those a year in past years, but this year we've done five of those. It's been incredible. People are very interested in being able to take care of themselves. 
And that is the topic for today is I wanted to discuss some of the, I suppose a good way of saying it is some of the most overlooked items as it relates to survival. Things that I don't see a lot of other survival instructors or survival schools talking about. And it's not that we have some sort of inside information. Everybody's got their own way of doing things, that's for sure. I'm not saying anything negative about another school at all. I'm not saying that at all. That's one of the reasons there are so many schools is because somebody, this person, that person, this school, this group of instructors has a different way of doing things. And I think we're different too. But what I wanted to do was go over some of those things that, again, are often overlooked as it relates to survival training. Now, before we get into that, we've got a couple of new segments that we're going to introduce in our podcast. We're going to do a question and answer that we pick out of our social media or something that we get on an email that somebody has a question about. We're going to answer that and do that here on the podcast. We're also going to have a tip at the end of every podcast. So stay tuned for the end of this podcast where we're going to relay a certain tip as it relates to you enjoying or being more safe or surviving in the outdoors. So stay tuned for that after the meat and potatoes of this podcast. This first question comes from, well, I can't say it came from several people. It came, I can't say it came from one person because it came from several people. We had a land navigation class a couple of weeks ago, and to say that it rained is like saying that, well, it it didn't really rain as much as buckets kind of came out of the heavens and poured upon us for a couple of days. It was actually very wet. We were all soaked. Fortunately, it wasn't incredibly cold weather. It was not incredibly cold weather. Therefore, the rain was, you know, just a... Uh, a little setback as far as our mental breakdown. It didn't hurt or take away from the class at all, for sure. Tracy did a fantastic job teaching class. But it did rain, and a lot of people got their sleep setups wet, hammocks, tents, what have you. So the question was asked, what do we use? What do I use? And I think Tracy uses the same thing that I use because we talked about it briefly. But the product that we use, and this is a great tip, and you need to go out and get some of this stuff or order it off Amazon. We'll have a link uh, down below. You can get it at some of the big box stores like Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, Walmart has it. I've I'd bought it at Walmart for years. But it is Atsco, that's A-T-S-K-O, silicone water guard. It's a spray. And here's the thing that is the tip that's more important than anything other than that particular product because that works good, but here's the secret to it. Whatever it is that you want to have waterproofed, you need to spray it every single year. And if you're going to be in an area where there's a tremendous amount of water, rain, what have you, then you'll probably want to do it a couple times a year. That's the thing that most people miss. One of the tips that I shared in the second book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, is that even if you buy a tent brand new, for example, and it's got silicone impregnated into the fabric, when it sits in your, well, once it sits in their warehouse, then it sits in a store, then it sits on your shelf at the house before you use it. Maybe you get one for Christmas and you don't use it for a few years. That silicone will dry and just cake up and fall off of the tent. And that's why you'll have this powdery residue a lot of times when you'll get a tent out of a box. It may have been sitting in a warehouse for a year. You never know. That's why you need to even a brand new tent. You get a brand new tent. Get it out, set it up like you normally would, get the practice of setting up because that's beneficial too. 
and go ahead and spray it down. And I like to spray mine down like I'm putting shingles on a house, meaning I start the silicone down at the base, the last portion where it's going to drip. And then as I spread different lines around, whether it's a tarp on a tin or a hammock or just a poncho, I even put this stuff on my packs. I always start at the bottom so that the layers that go on it go on top. I don't think that's a big deal, quite frankly, but it makes me feel better as I do it. So that is our tip for today. Hope you enjoyed it. I know it's very useful. So let's get into the meat and potatoes of this particular podcast. Now, what I wanted to cover, as I mentioned earlier, are what we like to refer to as the four puzzle pieces of survival. Once you put these puzzle pieces together, together you have what we feel like is a a full picture of what it is that you and I and we all need to understand for survival, which quite frankly is maybe not even best described as being survival as it is just pure and simple safety. What I mean by that is that if you put together this puzzle, mindset, skills, tactics, and gear, and you do it properly, then you're actually going to be putting together a real good risk management plan. We start almost every class that we teach at Nature Line School with a risk analysis, risk assessment, and we teach our students how to do that. We feel like risk assessment is one of the most important aspects of doing anything outdoors. You should constantly be thinking about what kind of risk are there, inherently part of what it is that you're doing as an exercise, whether it's rappelling, mountain biking, hiking, camping, whatever it might be, and have solutions for those risks or things that could go wrong. That's why we think a puzzle piece of mindset, another one with skills, tactics, and then gear make up that full picture of what it is that we need to be understanding. Today, I want to look at some things that are most often overlooked from my perspective, just reading other people's material, seeing what other people post on social media, just some things that I see that are missed often. I've, tr I've trained in a bunch of different schools too. I'm not intending this to be, hey, these are the things that other people overlook and we've got the secret over at Nature Reliance School because we, we definitely do some things differently and I think we do things very well. This isn't meant to be a criticism of other schools or other survival instructors or anything of that nature. Don't take it that way. But there are some things that are overlooked. So let's break these down. Mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. Mindset is first. I think the biggest thing that we need to understand about mindset development is how our brains actually work. And there's a lot to the brain, obviously. There's people that, you know, go to school for 20 years to be able to understand how the brain works, and they still don't understand. That's why they call it practicing medicine, right? Instead of knowing medicine, they're still practicing, right? One of the things that I picked up on a long time ago, teaching self-defense, which is basically a form of survival, is that there's three primary systems of the brain. We're going to talk about those three briefly. The first is the reptilian brain. That's what oftentimes is referred to as the lizard brain. This is the oldest portion of your brain. It's been there for an incredibly long time, meaning it's been there since human brains were formed, if you will. And what this does is it helps the body functions and do its normal duties, heart rate, breathing, keeping your body at its current temperature keeping everything balanced. Obviously, that is all incredibly and absolutely vital to our survival. But here's the problem. The lizard brain is, although it's very reliable, it's also, at the very same time, very rigid. 
and very compulsive, meaning the lizard brain portion of our brains does certain things based upon incredibly long periods of time that our brain has developed to do those, you know, those basic body functions, meaning your lizard brain, your reptilian brain keeps your heart beating and it wants to do that and does not want to stop. So we need to understand that that's part of our reptilian brain and utilize that to its effectiveness, which we do naturally. We don't even think about it. It just does it. The next part of the brain that I want to discuss for our purposes here is the limbic system of the brain. Now, this first emerged in mammals as mammals were being developed. The interesting part for me in the limbic system of the brain is that it's the one that records memories so that if a human experienced some sort of, well, mammals for that matter, recorded some sort of particular experience and it had what's often referred to as agreeable or disagreeable experiences, then it will remember those things. That is resting there in the limbic system of the brain. So it's what, you know, we humans would refer to as being responsible for emotions. And that's important. It's important to know that we have emotions as human beings. The cool part about the limbic system of the brain is that it is the one that very unconsciously, or most often unconsciously, is responsible for the strong influences on our behavior. And we behaving in a certain way based upon those past experiences. Now, the next part of the brain is what's referred to as the neocortex. This started out in, or at least we understand scientists say or suggest that it started out in most primates. And then as we developed as a humans, as a species, we developed these two very large hemispheres in our brain, what we typically refer to as right side, left brain thinking or something of that nature. And it played a huge dominant role in what it is that we are as humans and sets us apart in many ways. It is the part of our brain that's responsible for the development of language, for example, abstract thought, things of that nature, uh, imagination even, just imagine, hey, what would happen? That, you know, Basically what I'm doing in this podcast, what could go wrong? That's imagining it and coming up with solutions for it. That's just risk assessment, risk analysis. All that is happening in the neocortex portion of my brain, as well as our actual consciousness. This is not something where this part of the brain is responsible for subconscious emotions or thoughts and things of that nature. Now, the interesting thing, unlike the limbic system of the brain, the neocortex is very, very flexible. And so it has an incredible ability to learn different things and abilities and develop opinions, if you will. And so going back to understanding how the limbic system of the brain works with emotions, coupling that with our neocortex, and then you can see from my perspective exactly why it's imperative that we understand how this works. And when different parts of our brain are speaking to us, we know how to either control that, get in control of that, or practice our skills our mindset, skills, tactics, and gear specifically, but definitely our skills to overcome some of these problems. For example, I'll just give you a perfect example here, I think. It's raining. You need a fire or people in your party or yourself, you're going to die and you're having trouble getting the fire started. So the limbic system of our brain is there and that limbic system of the brain is the thing that if we allow it to control ourselves, and control our thoughts, 
then what will happen is that we will let the emotions, the stress of the situation overtake us and we can't make the fire. The reptilian brain is just sitting there wanting to get warm. It's doing everything it can to get the body warm. It's reducing blood flow to the arms and legs, keeping that blood flow in the core body temp. That's why I always say is keeping core body temperature is a primary concern for thermal regulation. But for our purposes here, once we recognize, hey, the emotions are rising in us, then we can recognize, hey, we need to overtake that. And that's why pre-planning and preparing ourselves before an event happens is vital. And that's why we can sit and imagine, we can sit and think, we can run scenarios through our heads. And that way we are more adequately prepared for what situations may come up. If you remember back from the tip that I shared today, I was talking about rain event for a recent land navigation class. And as I posted some pictures and comments about the class on social media, I talked about it was a fantastic class. And people were like, man, it looked kind of miserable. And that's that's just saying that a class like that is miserable is very problematic thinking. That is where we are letting our emotions dictate how we feel. We have been taught that getting rained on is a problem. Getting rained on is not a problem. Getting rained on is actually very, very natural. Okay? Rain happens. I love the rain. It's good, unless it's in excessive amounts, right? When we allow our emotions to overtake ourselves, that's when we say, hey, that's a miserable class, when quite frankly, it was a great class because people got to work through problems with their gear. People got, when I say gear, their sleep gear, they got to work through problems with the gear they're carrying on their back, their rain gear. They found out what worked, what didn't work. And they're in a group of people where if something bad had happened, we could take care of one another. What better situation can you have to prepare yourself to combine the reptilian, limbic, and neocortex sections of our brains than a class where it's pouring the rain the whole time? I thought it was fantastic. So with that said, let's move on to skills. I got a quote for you. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training, our kilicus. It's pretty cool stuff, right? That's often credited to several other different people, but originally Archilochus is the one that stated it the way I just stated it there. One more time. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple Backpacking and Camping Stove System. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? It's nearly half the price of a comparable jet boil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. That's why we've, we must get out and practice skills. There's a couple of skills that I feel like are heavily overlooked when it comes to survival and outdoor training. Let me talk about a couple of them. First off, is land navigation. Map and compass skills, GPS, 
these are skills that everyone should have a rudimentary rudimentary understanding of how they work as it relates to going to the outdoors. Let me talk about a few things here that I think you should know. Number one, you should know how to look at a compass and say that, yeah, this is a good compass or not a good compass. Some things that'll tell you, if it's got bubbles in it, it's probably not a good compass. If you can move the dial and shake it back and forth, not rotate it. All dials on base plate compasses should rotate. But if you can move them back and forth and it's got play in it, you're probably moving that play two to four degrees depending upon the size of that ring, right? That's a problem. Another one as it relates to a compass is just knowing that there's several different arrows on there. Like Tracy talks about in our land navigation courses, the three different Norse, and he'll often talk about the several different arrows that are on a compass as well. The north arrow is one. Usually that's the part that we like to refer to, and I think this is really important to start utilizing this term. We utilize this in our book, uh, Essential Wilderness Navigation, the north seeking arrow. That way you know that that arrow, that portion of the compass, is always seeking to be pointing north. You'll have the direction of travel, arrow that's on your compass and you'll also have the meridian lines and sometimes a meridian line arrow with inside the ring of your compass as well. If you don't know how to utilize those three different arrows on your compass, obviously we'd love to have you come to a land navigation class for sure, wilderness navigation. Uh, Pick up the book. You can read about that in our book, Essential Wilderness Navigation. Or at the very least, check out our Zoom classes because Tracy had a host of different Zoom classes that talked about land navigation. We talked about various aspects of that training, and so you can learn a lot right there. That's a good options for you, ways that you can check that out. So that is the first thing that I really think that you should know, how to use a, the basic parts of a compass. Number two, a very vital skill is how to orient your map to north. That's one of the first things that I think you should do if you have a combined map and compass. And even if you don't have a compass, you should orient your map to the earth the way you see it. So anytime you look at a map, the top of the map is north. And so once you find north with your compass, then you should orient your map so it is pointing north and it just makes it more, quite a bit more understandable, particularly for those that are maybe not used to utilizing a map. So orienting a map to north is absolutely vital skill. And the last thing I want to bring up is understand the symbology and particularly the scale of a map. And these are all things that you should know if you are the only one that is going to be utilizing that and you do not feel it the need or it necessary to communicate to others what it is that you're going to be doing or where you're going to be going. Meaning, I don't have to use a grid system because, hey, I'm not talking to anybody else or I'm not going to get lost or some of that nature. Although, you know, I'm a big fan of knowing grid systems and all that stuff so you can communicate to search and rescue Uh, dispatch 911 if you have cell service and stuff of that nature. But at the very least, you should understand when you pick up a map, look at the bottom of it and know the scale of it. A lot of maps that you'll see out there are one dot dot 24,000. That means one inch on the map equals 24,000 inches on the actual earth. Some maps you might get might say one dot dot 4,000. It's one of those things that often comes uh, up in our Nature Reliance School classes, as Tracy prints out maps for that class, a lot of those maps will be a smaller map because we're not going to be walking 
dozens of miles, for example. And so it might be a one to 4,000 map or something of that nature. And that way it's rather zoomed in. And you need to know that when you pick up a map so you can start to, for example, if you even if you do understand topography, if you're looking at a 1 in 24,000 map, there's some hollows, some ravines and draws and stuff of that nature that will not even show up on a map that is 1 in 24,000 that will be right in front of you. If you know it's a 24,000 map, you know, hey, this is not going to show up. So that's two or three things there that I think are vital to developing your skills as an outdoors person, whether you're going to be hiking, hunting, fishing, you're going to be surviving, bushcrafting, whatever it is that you're going to be doing out there. I think that is a very imperative and it's a very perishable skill. So you need to practice it regularly. The next thing that I want to discuss that is often overlooked in most fundamental first aid courses is trauma medicine, how to use tourniquets, hemostatic gauze, and stuff of that nature. I'm a big fan of Stop the Bleed. It's a fantastic class. I've taken it several times. And it's one of those skills that anybody that takes it never wants to be able to utilize those skills. They don't want to have to utilize those skills. However, having the skills and the proper gear to be able to do trauma medicine properly are one of those things that if you need it, you will want the ability to do that properly. Because if you do it wrong, people will die. And that's just all there is to it. If you might, uh, if somebody cuts themselves with a knife, maybe even a deep cut, they're probably going to live if they don't cut some major artery or something, right? They might not have use of their hand or their finger or something. Probably their finger might look bad or something of that nature, but they're not going to die. If there's a situation where you need to use something like a tourniquet and you don't have the training for it, people are going to die. That's just all there is to it. So I'm a big fan of getting trauma medicine training for anybody that's going to spend a fair amount in the outdoors or any time in the outdoors. Matter of fact, you don't have to be in the outdoors. You're very likely to save somebody's life utilizing a tourniquet in a car wreck than you are so many other things that we feel the need to carry with us every day. Check out Stop the Bleed. Check out some land navigation. I gave you some options there. Get into a class with us or somebody else. Pick up the book. Check out Tracy's Zoom classes. And that way you can get some fantastic training on two of the things that I feel like are very overlooked as it relates to skills in the outdoors. Tactics. Well, Craig, do you mean when you say tactics that we're going to get guns and we're going to do all this tactical Timmy stuff? The answer to that question to you all is no, I'm not going to do that. Tactics. There's a lot of definitions of tactics. And one of the definitions is working with others to come to a strategic plan that will help you arrive at a particular end that you want to come up with. Okay. And that's just some crazy definition, but basically what it means is being able to work with others. And I think this is one of the most overlooked things as it relates to survival training. I mentioned it several times, but there's a lot of people that have died due to thermal regulation problems. When quite frankly, the problem was miscommunication somewhere with somebody and because of a lack of communication and the inability to tell other people about what it is that you're doing that put them in a place where they died due to thermal regulation problems okay communication skills are vital so interpersonal communication skills are vital know how to set your ego aside 
when things get heated and are uncomfortable, do you know how to say the right things to people so that things can be diffused? You don't have such a problem. Do you do things where you take the initiative to make things better? A big thing that I recommend all the time in leadership training as well as survival training is do you focus on the situation, not the person? It would be real easy in a situation to start saying, let's say somebody drives a, a Jeep into a snowbank and now you're stuck and you're in, in all this snow and temperature's getting cold, it's getting dark and you're not going to get out, you're going to have to stay in the Jeep at night. It'd be real easy to start complaining to whoever it is that got the Jeep stuck, right? And it would be real easy in that situation to talk negatively about the person. Avoid that. Avoid that at all costs. Talk about the situation. This is a terrible situation. Don't talk about you are an idiot. I hope that makes sense. Communication skills are invaluable. So that's what I would refer to as interpersonal skills, interpersonal communication skills. I would also like to add, just because it's been a hot topic around Nature Reliance School in the last couple of weeks, is, man, I keep going back to what Tracy's been doing, <laughs> but but he led a ham radio class, and I don't think I could recommend any more something you should get, which is your ham radio license. It's called a technician license. It's not that hard to get. Uh, I'm very technologi- technologically, I can't even say the word right, technologically disadvantaged. I don't know if it's due to laziness or just my brain doesn't work that way. My neocortex, right? I don't know which one work, which one's the problem, but the fact is I have trouble with technology and ham radio and I got it. I passed my test the first time I took it. Think about that. Get your ham radio license. That just opens up the door for a lot of opportunities for you to communicate about disaster readiness, survival, and allows you access to uh, broadcasts on a much broader spectrum, meaning you can push out radio signals farther utilizing uh, different towers that are available to ham radio operators that are not available to your typical radio user. So consider that interpersonal skills as well as your communication skills outside of your, your personal communication by getting your ham radio license and getting involved in a ham radio group in your area. Because I'm telling you what, the people that are in ham radio groups are some of the geekiest, nerdiest people in the world. But at the same time, they are some of the nicest, most helpful people in the world. And so they're always at the ready to be able to help beginners. And very, very, very rarely will you have somebody that purposely talks down. Now, they'll talk a lot of technological stuff that I have difficulty understanding, but they don't purposely talk down to me. It's just me trying to catch up. A couple things there for you, interpersonal skills as well as ham radio skills. Let's get into some gear. Now, I don't want to get into specific gear pieces. I've done that enough in a whole book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, in a section for Extreme Wilderness Survival, several different podcasts, and a, I don't know, two or three dedicated chapters in the third book, Essential Wilderness Navigation. What I do want to talk about is groupings of gear and the way I like to look at different levels of gear. Okay? Most people refer to some aspect of their gear as EDC EDC gear, which is everyday carry. I like to refer to that as tier one. Your tier one gear is the stuff that you're going to take with you every day. And you'll see people do pocket dumps of their EDC gear and you look at it and go, there's no way on planet earth that you carry all that stuff every day. And it's true. Don't fall into 
the rut that you see on Instagram and Facebook, for example, about this EDC gear and how it just, oh my gosh, it's maddening to me. Maddening. I, there's some guys that that uh, I see that have EDC gear, and they've got different EDC gear every week. Different gun, different knife, different wallet, different sunglasses, different set of keys, blah, 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 blah. Wow, it wears me out. What that tells me is that they don't train with that stuff because they've always got queen knives. That's a term that's kind of new to me, and maybe it's new to you. Queen means a knife that's shiny, pretty, it's never been used. I'd rather be looking at the dude whose flashlight looks like he's been carrying it for 15 years because he probably has. He just replaces the battery and the bulb on it on a regular basis because, hey, that's a good flashlight, right? Again, I'm getting off on a soapbox here, but that's your tier one gear. Tier two is the gear that I call gear that you can spend an uncomfortable night in the outdoors by surprise. That could be stuff that you carry in your car, in your trunk, in the back of your truck, in a toolbox, whatever it might be. Gear that, hey, I'm not going to be comfortable, but I will stay alive if I have to stay out here tonight. That could be the stuff that when you go, let's say, for example, today, I went on a walk. I was out with Jennifer in the woods, and she was back at the cabin taking photos for some Instagram stuff. I took a walk looking for mushrooms because she was just doing her thing, and and I was actually out there just wanting to get out and get some woods time, right? Well, I took with me what I needed if, for some reason, I fell down, broke a leg, for some reason in this area I wouldn't have, but, hey, I don't know. I might have got lost. What happens if I got lost? Did I have with me? And what I'm saying is this gear fits into my chest kit that you'll see me in the pictures in all the time. The reason you see me wearing my chest kit all the time is because it literally has what I need to survive, again, an uncomfortable night outside. Now, that's tier two. Tier three is the gear that you're going to take with you when you are taking a purposeful night outside. You know you're going to stay out there. You need some extra gear, maybe like a sleeping bag, something of that nature, maybe a hammock, maybe a tent, maybe, you know, a a really good thermarest pad or something of that nature. Just the things that, you know, hey, I'm going to be out here overnight for sure. I'm going elk hunting. I'm going on an overnight camping trip, hiking trip, bushwhacking trip, whatever it is that you're doing, and you take gear that you need to be able to be more comfortable to stay out there. Now, number four is, is quite frankly, a different set of gear. And these are gear pieces and tiers where you actually add one on top of the other. Tier four is what I refer to as the get home gear. And this is where we get into the crazy and not so crazy ideas of disaster readiness and what could happen and what could say, okay, boom, the world as I know it now is done, it's different, it's crazy, it's wild. I can't go through my normal procedures, my normal normal travel patterns, what have you. And so I've got to have some extra gear to get home. For example, for some people, and for even me, for different places that I go, I don't always take a rifle with me every time I go to the outdoors. But there's some places that when I go, I will take more than just my sidearm, I will take a rifle with me. Just because, hey, if I'm stuck here in Memphis, Tennessee, for example, I'm teaching a class and I've got to walk all the way back to central Kentucky, I want to have a rifle with me. Okay. Now, maybe that's getting into too much detail. I don't want to go into any more detail than that. But the point being is what kind of things do you need to be able to survive to get back home wherever you are? 
I like to share this kind of information with people when you go on vacation. Let's say you're going to go, I've got some family, they go to Destin, Florida every year. They go to Destin, Florida every summer. What happens if the world as they know it changes and they have to walk back home from Destin, Florida? Well, number one, they probably will have to stay there. They'll probably have to figure out how to make a go of it right there until things go back to normal. If they felt the need to walk back home, what is it that they should be doing and they should be taking with them to be able to walk back home? That might be better footwear. You know, I say this as it relates to people just going to work every day. If you are wearing a pair of dress shoes, loafers, heels, some of that nature, into your workplace, do you have better shoes if you're driving home? Let's say you live in Boulder, Colorado. Do you have the gear that you need to walk back home in the snow? Because if the only shoes you have in your vehicle are though the ones that you have on your feet and they're heels and you're going to have to walk home, you're in deep doo-doo. If the only shoes that I have are the dress shoes that I wear when I'm trying to look pretty, and I don't have a good pair of boots, then I am in major trouble trying to get back home. So that's it, you all. I wanted to cover some things here as it relates to some of the more often overlooked aspects of mindset, skills, tactics, and gear. And I hope this has been enlightening to you. I hope it's been helpful. Obviously, our whole goal at Nature Reliance School is to get people outside and to do so more safely. And let's, before we get out of here, let's go over our question of the week. We had a fellow by the name of Brent, last initial M. I don't want to share somebody's name that hasn't given me permission, but Brent M asked the question on a Facebook post a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Craig, what's the secret to keeping your knife sharp? And that's a question that a lot of people have. And the easy answer is this. You probably don't need a stone to get your knife sharp. Do what? What'd you say, Craig? Do what? What? Did you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? What'd you say? Yes, you probably don't need a stone of any type to be able to get your knife. Well, maybe if it's completely dull as a dog biscuit. But if you have a knife and it's remotely sharp and you use it and it, you use it and it gets dull, then the best thing for you to do is to strop that puppy. Let me tell you, use a leather strop. It's really simple. Just think about the way you've seen dad and granddad use a stone and actually just use a leather strop. That's why barbers always have or had a leather strop in their shop because they were constantly sharpening that blade they used to shave people. And so if they shave somebody and shave another person or three or four and then that razor is getting a little bit dull, they're going to strop it. They're not going to put it on a stone. They're going to sharpen it or they're going to strop it with leather and it's going to get right back to where it's supposed to be. That's your super tip for the day. As far as leather strops, make one. Find a hunk of leather. Use the leather on your boots. I'm telling you. Now, I've got one that I got from JRE Industries, who is the same company that makes the leather sheaths for the Shaman East that we get through LT Wright Knives. And it's it's got four sides to it. It's got different sharpening compounds on the leather. And I'm kind of new to that over the last few years, but I'm finding it to be very, very useful. But with that said, I think you can get most of what you need to get done with just stropping with some leather. So that's been your tip for the day. And thanks for the question, Brent. Really appreciate you throwing that at us. 
Thanks again for listening in. Hey, throw us some feedback. We're trying to get an email set up, but obviously you can always send us an email at info at naturereliance.org. We're trying to get an email set up just for the podcast podcast at naturereliance.org. We do not have that done yet, so don't be sending emails there. But uh, for now, just info at naturereliance.org. If it's a question for me or if it's a question for Tracy, I'll make sure it gets directed properly because I get all of those emails. So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope you like the two new segments where we're getting a uh, listener's question followed up on as well as we're often a cool tip for the outdoors every week. We'll come up with some better names for that as we move forward. But until that time, we thank you so much for listening. If you've got questions that you want to get answered on the air, then send them to us at that info at naturereliance.org. And don't forget the sponsors that Tracy mentioned at the introduction of this podcast. We greatly appreciate the way everybody supports us and we continue to look forward to serving you. Come on, join in. Let's learn together. And that wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Reliance podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Reliance School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.